All right. Well, it is good to be with you guys again here on this Wednesday evening. We'll continue in our study on evangelism this evening. We'll be returning to our study in Genesis next week, next week Wednesday. Um, And so tonight we're going to continue to look at some things that sort of connect with last week. We'll do a little bit of a review of last week, and then we'll talk about some of the practical elements of sharing our faith. We'll be kind of all over the place tonight as far as scripture touching on several different verses and so uh, I would encourage you to take notes this evening although of course it is being recorded you can go back and listen again but it would be to your benefit maybe to have a pen and paper this evening to write down some different things all right let's go in let's go ahead and jump into our study here this evening Uh, I want to start off with this five reasons we fail oftentimes and this may not be all inclusive but five reasons we fail to share the gospel number one Lack of perspective. This ties into where we were last week. Last week we spent some time really considering our own perspective on life, our own perspective on the good news. The fact is, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, must be the greatest news in our life. If we're honest with ourselves, we're not going to be well equipped. We're not going to be ready to go out and and share the gospel, uh, whether with strangers or, or share the gospel with friends and family, if it really isn't the best news in our own life. And while as believers, we're probably inclined to say, well, yeah, it's, it's the greatest news. I mean, Jesus saved me. We've got to be realistic and know that sometimes our circumstances, different things in our lives start to cloud our perspective and suddenly the good news of Jesus Christ maybe is just sort of this secondary thing that it's like, well, yeah, 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 I know Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior, but here's all these things I've got going on and I'm really not all about evangelism right now. Okay, so sometimes we fail to share the gospel because we just don't have a great perspective. And so we need to work to get the big picture when our perspective is really focused in on these problems of ours that are right in front of our faces. And remember, it's not about demeaning or minimizing, rather, those problems. In fact, God himself, we know, based off of his word, cares about the things that we're facing. But we've got to be willing to take a step back get a bigger perspective on what's going on in our lives, recognize, and here would be a reminder from the points that we considered last week, that one, God is good. God is good, right? God is good. And life, number two, life is hard. Many of you can probably remember a parent telling you that. (laughs) Maybe you were saying, oh man, this is going on and this is going on, and a well-intentioned parent trying to encourage you was like, well, life is hard, right? Okay, thanks. It's truth. Life is hard but God is good. God is good. Life is hard. Number three, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And so God is over all things. God either decrees it or he allows it. He would not be all powerful otherwise. Does that mean God causes evil? No, but that does mean that he uses it, that he uses it for good. And so we also trust, number four, that God is all wise. God is all wise meaning that he can take any situation, any circumstance in our life, and we can trust that if God is good and God is sovereign and God is all wise, that he is using every one of the circumstances in our life. Those are the best possible circumstances to produce the best possible outcome in my life. And finally, as I've sort of mentioned already, God is all-powerful. If we can remember those things, God is all-powerful. God is good, life is hard, God is sovereign, God is all-wise, God is all-powerful. If we can remember those things and keep a perspective where we are focused on those things and the truth of those things, then typically we're going to be able to pull ourselves back a little bit. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the problem went away, but it does mean that we can start to see the bigger picture and go, God, you're at work. And then that good news of Jesus Christ starts to become good news again. 
And so that's the lack of perspective. Oftentimes we need to gain proper perspective. Moving on from there, the second reason we often fail to share the gospel is apathy. We have just become apathetic towards it. We just don't really care. And again, some of these things you could say, well, that's sort of the same as this or that, and and that may be the case, but just general apathy sometimes. We've just sort of grown to a point of callousness. I'm just not concerned about that right now. That leads us also then to a lack of compassion. Once again, apathy and a lack of compassion could be very similar, but lack of compassion almost takes it a bit further. Apathy would suggest that I'm just really not all that concerned. Lack of compassion really is, and I don't care about these individuals who are perishing. We become so focused on ourselves that we lack compassion towards those who are lost. There is a significant lack of compassion that exists within our world today. Sadly, even in our own country, much of the church continues to claim that we are to be about fulfilling the Great Commission, while at the same time we demonize many people who don't know Christ because they don't hold the same views that we do, because they are opposed to some of the things that we support. And rather than compassionately, as we see the motive for Jesus in his ministry that we've considered in Matthew chapter 10 over the last couple of weeks, or Matthew 9 and 10, Uh, We're to be compassionate towards individuals who don't know Christ. It's always a wonderful question for us to ask ourselves, why would we expect those who don't know Jesus to act like they do? Why would we expect it? Number four, lack of gospel knowledge. Lack of gospel knowledge. Just an awareness of and a, a regular study of the Word of God such that you feel confident, reasonably confident, applying it and sharing it with other people. If you're not spending time in the Word, you're not going to be very quick to tell other people about the Word of God and what it has to say. A study done in the early 2000s, which to me doesn't seem like that long ago, but apparently it's about 20 years ago, revealed that only 2% of professing Christians ever share their faith. Only 2%. Only 5% of Christians had ever led someone to the Lord. Now, as I share that, that seems, I think, a staggering statistic. But I wonder, and just think about this, have, have any one of you in here ever led someone to the Lord? Have you been a part of praying with someone as they receive Jesus Christ? I would venture to say that for me, that's one of the most exhilarating things in life. The incredible experience of leading someone to Christ. But this study showed that only 5% of Christians had ever done so. So the question becomes for us, do you regularly share your faith? Do you share your faith? Do you at least share it when you feel you have the open door to do so? Maybe you're not one who goes out and seeks out the opportunity, but when it's there, are you aware? Do you take the opportunity? This same study showed that the number one reason given for why Christians don't share their faith, and this would be number five, is fear. Just straight up fear. They want to, they know they should, and they're just afraid and afraid of many different things. Sadly, though, instead of dealing with that fear, many have learned simply to cover it up and even defend it. The church today, the capital C church, has largely abandoned this idea of being witnesses for Jesus Christ and instead has turned inward and focused on discipleship of believers. Evangelism is certainly to be the doorway to discipleship. 
It's not that discipleship isn't important. It's incredibly important because we could also say in many churches today that discipleship is absent, and so you have those who are believers, Christians, but they could go back to point number four and say, I have a lack of gospel knowledge. I don't know how to apply it. I don't know how to share it. And so these two things are essential, but it's both, not one or the other. And I do believe that we are beginning to see the church turn inside out again. But I will tell you as a pastor, I'm constantly conflicted with how much time and what, Lord, do we focus on in terms of internal programming versus just getting out and sharing the gospel. Christians, in many respects, have now perfected the art of fellowship. And in a year like 2020, I say, bring on some fellowship, (laughs) okay? Bring it on. We need it. And I've alluded to this many times, as no doubt have many of you we often try to come up with the various reasons why these things in 2020 may be happening, right? Everything from a prophetical perspective and the end times to just ways in which God is changing things and showing us things and toppling idols. And, and I think he's doing all of those things. There's a lot of things that I think the Lord is doing. I think he's doing a lot right now in this year in the hearts of pastors. I think he's bringing transformation and leaders, shepherds of churches, one of the things that I think he is doing is, is bringing many churches that have long been loaded for bear with activities, who have exchanged a focus on the lost for a focus on the saved, preferring activity, as some would say, over progress, that he's disrupting some of that as well and, and showing us that that's not what it's all about. But we clearly see in the Word of God that the command is for us to share our faith, to preach the Word, to take the Gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Not only is this the command, it's in part why Jesus came. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to do this work, the gospel work, that now he has entrusted first to the apostles and now to his church. Essentially, the, the first conversation we have of Jesus with his disciples, we find, and we've studied this recently, in Matthew chapter 4 and verses 18 through 22. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was really their first encounter with Jesus, at least their first personal encounter. They may have heard of him, they may have seen him as he was beginning to minister in Capernaum, but their first personal encounter is Jesus saying, Follow me, and not just follow me, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to turn you into men who know how to share the good news, the gospel, and that's what you're going to begin to do for the rest of your life. And they immediately left their nets, verse 20 says, and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. That was the first real conversation that Jesus had, first personal conversation with his disciples, the first disciples that he called. What's the last conversation that Jesus had with his disciples? Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. His first conversation was, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. His last conversation was, continue to follow me, and you're going to go out and you're going to preach the gospel. And then he told them to, of course they knew the direction was to wait for a period of time, and in Acts 1 and verse 4 through 8 we read this, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what else? Was it just power? Was it power for the sake of power? Was it just a special gift that Jesus wanted to give to them? But he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Over and over and over again, Jesus is pointing them to what their purpose was in Christ. This is purpose. Each of us are created, called, and equipped. Some of you sometimes doubt that. Maybe you go, okay, I was created, but maybe not very well. And I don't know if I'm called. Certainly don't feel equipped. Listen, you created in God's image with a unique purpose. He's called you. If you're a believer today, he's called you. His Holy Spirit was with you, calling you under repentance. When you surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came in you and dwelt you and sealed you. And the Holy Spirit also comes upon you to equip you. And he does this for different things to his glory in each of you. He wants to use each of you in different ways ultimately in every one of those ways, for his glory, for his purposes. And while there are for each of us uh, unique giftings and callings, there's also consistency in our calling, and that's to be witnesses for him. Now, we're not going to spend a ton of time there tonight, but let's go back and consider for a moment Matthew chapter 10 and the difficulty that we see in Scripture of those who follow him and and what we should expect and the persecution that we should anticipate. And as we're called, just like the apostles, to be witnesses for him, let's not forget what that word witness means in the original language. It's the word from which we get our word martyr. And of course, every one of the apostles would be martyred for their faith with the exception of John. And that's not because they didn't try to kill him, he just wouldn't die because the Lord had a unique purpose for his life. So here's the thing that we need to ask ourselves as we consider, and I trust that most of us here, you know, maybe we exegete different passages in Scripture slightly different, but generally speaking, hopefully we all as believers agree, yes, we need to be telling people about our faith. We need to be telling people about Jesus. We need to also ask ourselves this. Does God need you to share the gospel? Is he depending on you to share the gospel? The answer would be no. If we consider for a moment here the state of global missions today, it tells us some interesting things. You see, God is on the move today. God is at work today. Please don't ever doubt that for a second. There may be dark days in our own communities that we see and we wonder, Lord, what's going on? But God is working. What we need to understand is that even over the last couple of years, there's been a larger geographical move and redistribution of the church in the past 50 years than in all the years prior to that. What do I mean by that? Former mission fields are becoming mission forces. You heard me say recently, and this is not to discount missions by any stretch of the imagination, but to say that the mission field is not necessarily out in Africa or in Asia as much as it is right here in our own backyard today. There are more Christians in church on Sunday in Kenya right now than there are in Canada, okay? Just our neighbors to the north. 
There is great revival happening on a continent that missionaries have long been going to. Informally, there were some pretty sort of aberrant doctrinal uh, forces kind of in play amongst the churches in Africa, and we're seeing more and more sound doctrine sweeping through the nation. It tends to be a bit more Pentecostal. Nevertheless, uh, we're seeing a great move of the Spirit, and oftentimes it's that Pentecostal doctrine that comes through when you see such a move of the Spirit. God is at work, always. The thing is, He invites us into this work. The task of reaching all nations is really an unfinished task, but what we're seeing today is that it's absolutely achievable. There are approximately 11,000, and this doesn't sound like a very approximate number, but 11,749 people groups in the world today. If any of you ever get the chance to go to the Museum of the Bible and you go to their translation room, it's a wonderful picture to see. And what they basically have is a Bible on a bookshelf for every people group, every language in the entire world. And each of them is color-coded with fully translated, partially translated, no translation effort yet. And you can get a real visual of here's how many people groups are still remaining that we've yet to get translations of the Bible into their hands. And it's quite inspiring. 11,749 people groups in the world today, roughly 7.5 billion people total in the world. 7,000 people groups are unreached, which equates to about 3 billion people. These are people that, as of this point, at least from human efforts, have no access to the gospel. No one is pursuing these people that we, we know of. This is 2,000 years after the Great Commission was given. There's still work to be done, but it's absolutely within reach. 2020 numbers suggest that there are 2.4 billion Christians in the world today. It's 31% of the world's population. But let's go ahead and for the sake of the argument, be conservative and say that of those 2.4 billion Christians, that 300 million are actually evangelical Christians who say, I want to go and share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even at that limited number, that's 45,000 people for every one unreached group. You think we could find one and each of those 45,000 that would say, I'll go? Now these people groups are in dangerous areas, right? So just like we talked about on Sunday, there's a cost. There must be sacrifice. There's going to be a willingness to say, I'm laying my life down, I may not return. Every follower, though, of Christ has a significant and sacrificial role to play as we considered this past Sunday in Matthew 10. Not all are called to go as missionaries, but all are called to participate and to contribute. We must either go or send. This is about self-sacrificing courage. I want us to consider for a moment here, and I, I know I'm giving you a lot of maybe extra beyond the practical components here, but I want us to consider for a moment Esther. You guys know the story of Esther. Esther in chapter 4, you guys know that Esther was through a series of circumstances, no doubt God ordained, was uh, brought into the harem of the king of Xerxes and she basically assumed the position, uh, she, she became his wife, but she held a very prominent role as his wife, was, was not the case of all the women in his harem and uh, she was there for a purpose. She was there for a particular reason. No doubt God had put her there, as Esther says, for such a time as this, um, to where she would be able to uh, defend her people, the Jewish people uh, that were uh, to be uh, killed there under the reign of Xerxes. And in verses 13 and 14, 
of Esther chapter 4, it says, And Mordecai, who was her uncle, told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all of the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief, and listen, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai says, do not think that in the king's palace you'll escape. You see, Esther is in a precarious position and situation here. Just because she was in the palace does not mean that she will escape the fate of her people. She too will be destroyed. The church today, we today, are in a precarious position. Never before in history have there been more opportunity or has there been more opportunity and resources for us to participate in the Great Commission. Four and a half million evangelical churches in the world. Four and a half million Evangelical churches in the world. Charles Spurgeon, who often had a wonderful way of saying things, says this, Will the heathen who have never heard the gospel be saved? It's a good question. We often ask that question, right? What about those who have never heard the gospel? Will they be saved? Spurgeon replies, It is more a question of whether we who have the gospel and do not share it will be saved. We could certainly challenge Spurgeon's doctrine here. I don't think that's what he was getting at. I think he was tending to ruffle some feathers. When we truly know Jesus, we will care about those who have not heard and do not know. When we truly know Jesus, we'll care. Go back to apathy and compassion. Many claim to follow Jesus, but are indifferent to the Great Commission. But the Great Commission is an unstoppable purpose. Just like we see within Esther, relief and deliverance will come. To the earlier question, does God depend on us? No. It will come from another place. Nothing can thwart God's plan. And so it's not a matter of will God's plan come to pass, but whether we will join God in his plan. Because God won't forsake his people. Jesus himself says in Matthew, in chapter 24, in Matthew 24, 14, I love this passage. Here is he's talking about the sign of the times and the end of the age. And he says in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. God has a plan and a purpose that will be fulfilled. Here are our choices. We have to join the Father in the work that he has invited us into, completing what then is the greatest movement in all of the history of the world, or we disobey. The book of Revelation in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 tells us that this work will be completed. So the question again is not whether God needs us, but rather what will be our role and participation in this work. God's not dependent on us for it, but he chooses to use us if we will oblige. We get to participate. Jesus himself upholds the hope of the Great Commission, and so will we join him in that work? That needs to be the question that we ask ourselves, sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. Many of you know Dave Chafee from the 10th Hour Project. Dave's a fantastic guy. Dave has really spent the last several decades going around the country, going around the world, and preaching the gospel. He's one of those guys that participates, and we'll talk about this here shortly, in something called contact evangelism. There's really three types of evangelism we'll consider tonight. Contact evangelism is the most uncomfortable. It's when I come up to you, and you don't know me, and I don't know you, and I say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And Dave does this stuff all the time. And do you know how often Dave is still sometimes just kind of feeling like, oh, I don't know that I'm ready to go out and do this. I don't want to go do this. And then Dave, having been in a heavy metal band at one point in his BC days, will throw on some good old-fashioned Christian heavy metal, 
Some of you are like, that doesn't exist. <laughs> there is no such thing. But I've heard it. I can't say I'm a huge fan of it, but I've heard it. And he's like, oh yeah, I listen to this before I go out and share the gospel, <laughs> right? Because he's got to get himself pumped up. So guess what? If you're not very comfortable with it, if you're not very familiar with it, you need to get yourself pumped up too. If Dave, who does it on a regular basis, is like, hold on a minute, poof, and just starts, you know, doing some headbanging, okay, now I'm ready to go. Let's do this. You got to find your way to go, okay, how, how do I get myself ready to go? And so for us tonight, we need to consider, are we lacking perspective? Are we apathetic? Are we lacking compassion? Are we in fear? Do we simply need more practice and better tools? And the latter there is what we'll focus on for the rest of our time together. What we need to remember is this, that Jesus was willing to die for this. He was willing to die for you and for me, but for this very work. So we need to learn to get over our fear. Consider for a moment a few passages of Scripture, and again, I would encourage you to write these down because these need to be part of your evangelism toolbox. The first few that I mention here, more so to get you pumped up and ready to go out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-11. through 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. How can we not when we know the judgment that awaits? You see, this one is both for us and for them. How can we not if we know the judgment that awaits? Last week I alluded to the analogy or the picture, if you will, of a, a house or a building on fire. And if a person is inside there and, and we hear them crying out, save me, and we just ignore it. What type of judgment should come upon us from a human perspective? If a person is about to walk off of a cliff, if you know there is imminent danger, what do you do? You intervene. You save them. You reach out and you don't, you don't worry about whether or not you're uncomfortable or they're uncomfortable, if they're going to be offended, if you're going to be rejected. You go, man, I have a responsibility right now. And we need to make the eternal destiny of those who we see, whether each and every day in our families or in our community, we need to consider the urgency of the position that they're in. I won't read through this again, but write down Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. You can underline verse 20, I am with you always. He's with us in this. Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Guys, he is with us. I mentioned to you on Sunday, just briefly, one of the encounters that I had in South Sudan. And this is in a war-torn country. This is in an area that was relatively safe. But I'll tell you, while we were there, um, I, there was never a time that I felt unsafe by any means. But I can tell you that though we were supposed to be kind of far from the front between North Sudan and South Sudan, what that put us near was Uganda. We weren't far from the border at all. 
and the Lord's resistance army, and don't think too much of that name there because they're, they are anti-Christ, okay? It's the LRA in northern Uganda that kidnaps children and puts them into their army and brainwashes them and uses them to kill their own family. Came across the border one of the evenings. We heard the gunfire and we heard, we're just asked, what, what's going on? Guys are leaving, they're going out and they said, hey, they came across the border, they're taking, they got one kid before we were able to intervene and uh, a unit went out and praise the Lord by that morning, they said, we got him, we got him back. Okay, and so these types of things were going on there. But never did I feel at risk, never did I feel unsafe because we were there doing gospel work, not to suggest that, that there couldn't have been something that comes against us, okay? I'm not suggesting that, as we've seen, many missionaries in foreign countries have, have lost their lives on this earth. Another time when we were in Ethiopia, and we weren't there doing missionary work necessarily, but we were, we were there with a purpose, I can tell you that much. And it'd be too long for me to tell the story at this point, but I can tell you that basically what it amounted to was me doing something that was perceived as wrong by a soldier carrying an AK-47 who looks at me and he says, you, right now, come over here. And he wanted to look at my stuff. He wanted to look at my camera. And he was pretty convinced I was taking pictures of things I shouldn't have been taking pictures of. And at that moment, I'm thinking, I wasn't taking pictures of the things you think I was taking pictures of, but I don't know what may have showed up in the background, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. He says, show me your camera. Start going through your camera. And so I went, we had taken a lot of pictures at this point already, and so I started going the opposite way, right? Like, we're going around the horn here. I'm not going a few back. Like, we're, I'm going to make you look at every picture I've got here. And as they're coming around, coming around, I'm like, oh, man, it's getting close. It's getting close. Like, what's going to be in this shot? And would you know that when I get to the picture that caused him to go, you, over here right now, that it had just started to sprinkle in the area. Rain had, rain had just started, and a big old drop had landed on the lens right when I took that picture, and it was nothing but a blurry mess. And he looks at me and he goes, get, get out of here, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, all these times in these different areas where it's like, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with you. Second Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so this one I feel like we need to mention as well as we're considering our approach to evangelism is, guys, I'm not suggesting tonight that you need to be experts or that you need to have memorized your Bible. But I'm telling you that, like, yes, we can, we can trust that when we're in a situation that's just a God-ordained situation that we can trust the Holy Spirit's going to move and work and give us words. But we shouldn't presume upon that. As believers who want to share the truth of the gospel, we should be spending time in the gospel studying it, learning it, knowing it, being able to call scripture to mind, being able to remember key scriptures that we would want to share with somebody. Of course, John 3.16. Many of you have John 3.16 memorized. It's a wonderful verse to use in evangelism. Get some more John 3.16s in your pocket so that you can pull this out and say, hey, let me show you something. And I'm gonna give you, I've got a whole list of scriptures that I'll give to you. I'll read through them towards the end here and then we'll send it out via email so that you can print it off. And what I would encourage you to do is make some note cards. If you don't already, start the process of scripture memorization. Just like when you were in school, make flashcards, okay? Write the verse on one side and then the reference on the other and quiz yourself. Get yourself to the point where some of these verses, you know them. Because ultimately, guys, we need to engage the culture. Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? I asked you this question last week. Who is Jesus? If you were wearing one of our t-shirts and you're standing in line at a restaurant, and this was an assignment that was given to me recently in one of my classes. My professor said, you have 60 seconds, go. Who's Jesus? What would you say? 
One of the key things that she does is ask people if they want prayer, right? That's a great lead-in with people. It really is. And a lot of people are, aren't as inclined to reject that. They might turn you away if you say, well, can I tell you about Jesus? But a lot of times you ask them if we kind of pray for you for anything, they're more willing. It's interesting. I want you guys to continue to think about this. If somebody just asks you, who, who, tell me about Jesus. And don't think that it's not going to happen. We were doing witnessing one time down in uh, Hilton Head. We were out at whatever beaches there is in Hil- Hilton Head. We were in Hilton Head, right? And we're out doing evangelism, wit- street witnessing, okay? Same way some of you have done uh, as we've gone out here. And we're just sort of, there's a lull, right? And I'm just kind of like, man, yeah, maybe we should wrap it up here. And all of a sudden, I just kind of spin around because I can sense there's, there's kind of a guy behind me, and I think I kind of startle him. And uh, I was just like, hey, hey, you know? And uh, can I tell you about Jesus? He says, who's that? Now, this guy wasn't from this country, okay? But here's one of those moments where it's like, seriously? Nothing? You don't know anything? He's like, yeah, please tell me. I'm like, really, Lord? Okay. You know, I had the opportunity right there. He's like, who, who tell me? Who? <laughs> and it's, it's so, guys, these opportunities can happen, okay? So, how do we respond, right? Jesus says, who do men say that I am? What, what, are, you, what are you telling them? If we were preparing to be a missionary, what questions would you ask? How would you approach someone? You would want to understand a little bit about the culture. You would want to understand what they're thinking, what they're facing, what they're dealing with. And so it's important for us to, to, to give some thought to these things. How would I approach someone today in our culture? And so how do we go about doing it? It's been said this, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words, right? You've many, many of you have heard that saying before. Listen, this speaks to the way in which we live our lives, which is a wonderful thing, but I would say it's incomplete. We need to use words. Okay? Your life can say a lot to a person about how you're living. In fact, some of you may have experienced this before, but somebody comes up to you and just says, man, you're different, especially in the workplace, right? Uh, you don't handle this the same way that this person handles it. What, what gives? Right? That's a wonderful compliment when that happens. You can, and, and that's a great opportunity for you to say, well, do you really want to know? Well, yeah, I asked you. Well, it's Jesus. Okay, never mind. Right? <laughs> Sometimes that happens. It's a wonderful compliment when somebody sees that your life is different, but you still have to use words. They didn't get saved just by watching you in a meeting. You've got to be able to share with them. And so the way in which we use those words does make a big difference. Now, the Gospel Coalition, which is an organization that pulls together a lot of different articles, and they send out daily things, blogs, and different things like that, put out an article that really highlighted three different approaches that we see in the New Testament as it pertains to evangelism. The first one is family evangelism. Okay, so parents, listen up. Or those of you who are influential with uh, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, whatever it is, family evangelism is real. God intends for there to be gospel proclamation that takes place within Christian homes as parents raise their children. We know that Ephesians 6, 4 says, in the training and instruction of the Lord. Children of believers are sort of set apart as front row witnesses to and beneficiaries of gospel influence if it's being done properly. Barna Research recently did a study of Uh, those who were raised in Christian homes who professed to not believe in Jesus Christ. And what was the number one reason given was that my parents professed to be Christians and I did not see it evident in their lives. I didn't see it. I didn't see an example of Christianity lived out by them. The practice of family evangelism is seen in the life of Paul's protege, Timothy. As he writes in 2 Timothy 1.5, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
You see, Timothy's faith in Jesus really first came about in the home thanks to the witness of his grandmother and his mother. And I'm, I can say that for me, I'm, I'm a recipient of that same thing. Those in my family and in my life who love Jesus and I saw it and I heard it. Paul proceeds then to exhort Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And now from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Timothy, when he thought back on his childhood, said, I remember, I remember the scriptures. I remember this being important. And there wasn't a time when it wasn't. And so I want to encourage you guys, whether in your own homes, it's of critical importance, but for us as a family, as a church family, listen guys, the way that we interact with one another, the way that we serve one another, the way, they, the way that we live this out, when kids come into this church, what do they hear? What do they see? For you older men and older women in the faith, what opportunities are you taking to do this, not only in your own families, and maybe now you've got your children are raised and you're continuing to do it in the lives of other children. And let me tell you, there are those of you in this church that are doing that. And as a pastor and as a father, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Keep it up. It says it takes a village to raise a, a child. And parents, many times we can say amen to that, right? Amen to that. So there is family evangelism that we see within scripture then there is also friendship evangelism yes it exists i think a lot of times this gets knocked but it does exist jesus was accused of a lot of different things one was being a friend of tax collectors and of sinners luke 7 34 he wasn't a he wasn't a stranger he didn't disregard them uh he wasn't just sort of like yeah you know i know that guy but you know not really well yeah no, he, was, he, he embraced these people as we've recently learned in our study of Matthew. We know that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come for those who are well, but for those who are sick. And so we see with Jesus authentic relationships. And it wasn't just Jesus because we can be sometimes, I, I, I guess, led to sort of go, well, well that was Jesus. Jesus, you know, Jesus is God. Jesus, but what about us? Can we really do things that way? Well, Paul too modeled this, this relational or friendship evangelism. He writes in 1 Thessalonians in 2, 7 through 8, Just as nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You see, the, the, the apostle was, was sincere and, and intentional in ensuring that the ministry wasn't just some preach the gospel and we're gone. No, we're going to love on you. We're going to spend time with you. And sometimes that's what's necessary for the gospel to really reach someone. Now, it's a work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who opens eyes. It's the Spirit who draws men unto repentance. But again, we're used. The, the Spirit uses us and the Spirit is at work within us. And sometimes it takes a little while. Friendship evangelism can be an awesome thing. Relational evangelism. Word of caution here. Missionary dating? No. Okay. Anybody ever heard of that before? This is just relational evangelism. I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep going out on dates with him and we're gonna get he's gonna get saved, or vice versa. No, no, and no and no and no. Okay? And how about no once more? Okay. Go ahead and invite him to church. Sure. We're gonna invite anybody to church. No missionary dating, okay? You're welcome, parents. But here's the thing. It's really easy to think sometimes that we're relationally evangelizing and we're just kind of hanging out with unbelievers. Matt Chandler said this, relational evangelism, go for it, as long as it turns into actual evangelism, okay? There comes a point when, yes, your life is on display, 
And listen, this looks like you encouraging somebody, being willing to pray for somebody, especially within that friendship relationship. They don't know the Lord, but you're saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, thanks. Uh, But in time, you ask questions, okay, and you demonstrate concern, and you get to a place where you go, hey, friend, have I earned your trust? Have I earned your respect? Can I ask you a really important question? And this sort of gets us as well to where we find contact evangelism. This is the final method that we'll consider here in our remaining time tonight, and it's the least popular. It's explicitly modeled, though, in Scripture. Nobody's super comfortable with this, except for Bill James, also with Agents for Christ and the Tenth Hour Project. And if you go out witnessing with Bill James, you're just like, goodness gracious, buddy. I mean, he just gets out of his car, and he's like, hey, you! <laughs> right? And he's just like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And he's just fearless in that way. I mean, he's he just some guys, okay? In John chapter 4, Jesus, we know, strikes up a conversation with someone who he really shouldn't be talking with. He meets a woman beside a well. She's a stranger, and she's really someone who, as a good Jewish boy, he should avoid because she's a woman and a Samaritan. But he goes out of his way to meet her, and he he turns natural conversation with this woman into spiritual conversation. Now, yes, this is one of those times where we can go, yeah, that's Jesus. And so, yes, Jesus does it well. No surprise but we can learn from his example. He doesn't waste much time either moving from will you give me a drink, as he says in verse 7, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I don't know, it feels like only Jesus can kind of do it that awesomely, right? (laughs) But in the span of just three verses, boom, he goes there. But Jesus' witnessing strategy here is not some New Testament anomaly. The earliest Christians were engaged in this same type of evangelism. We read in Acts 5.42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 16.13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. Acts 17.17, Paul reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. The early church was eager to share the truth of the gospel. But here's the other thing that we need to consider as we start to look at these more practically. If Matt Chandler sort of challenged that, hey, relational evangelism is great, just make sure that it gets to evangelism, a similar danger, but the inverse of exists in contact evangelism. That yes, it may be evangelism, but make sure you're the friend too. Far too often we seek to use fear tactics or condemnation in those limited encounters and that's why it's even more important that we practice things like, you've got 60 seconds, what do you say about Jesus? See, so let me tell you first and foremost, Jesus is God, he came as man, he died for me and for my sins. And he died for yours too. Getting comfortable with what do I want to make sure people understand that Jesus came because we who are created in God's image sinned. And because of that, we've been separated from God the Father. But Jesus in coming and dying for us pays the penalty of our sins and restores that relationship with God. And he's done that in my life and he can do that in your life too. Making sure that people understand. I mean, that's 15 seconds right there at the most. Those are principles of the gospel. Do we have enough wherewithal and confidence to be able to articulate? Here's the foundational components of the gospel that people need to understand. And we need to do so with courtesy and with authentic concern. 
oftentimes when I have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone in a contact evangelism situation, as always, we should spend time in prayer. We should spend time seeking the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. Listen, there's times when I'll be out with a small group, and I wish we would have done this far more than what we have to this point, but we've done it nonetheless, and we'll continue to go out and do this in our community. And by the way, and I won't share names, but some of you need to understand that after Sunday's message last week, so on, on Sunday morning, Many of you were there, you heard the message, and do you know that some of the people that were here listening to the message with you, they went out and they shared the gospel. They went over to Sandhills and they shared the gospel. Now you're like, eh, I feel terrible about myself. Listen, I went home and took that nap I was talking about, okay? It was 35 minutes of glory, okay? And I too was like, man, you went and shared the gospel? I took a nap. Listen, that's awesome, We had people that responded, that listened and said, you know what, let's go do this. Let's pray and let's go do this. And they had some success. And listen, I am going to brag for a minute because I didn't have anything to do with this. But I went to the store last night and I brought the boys along. I said, boys, get in the car, we're going. We've got to run to the store and grab a few things. Okay, get your masks. And we went out and I didn't even prompt this. I I was on the phone and I'm getting out of the car. Do you know what those boys did? They grabbed gospel tracts out of the car. And man, they went at it in the parking lot and in the store. And you know what? They got rejected, okay? Not by everybody. These two sweet boys, you know, going up. And one guy, James hands a gospel tract to a guy. Eli had just talked with a girl in the, in the checkout lane, uh, the self-checkout. And uh, poor thing, she was pretty busy. But Eli was like, hey, did you get one of these? And, uh, and then James goes up to a guy. He's like, hey, sir, I'd like to give you one of these. Have you seen one of these? And, he, and the guy goes, what the heck is that? And James was like, it's a gospel track. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. And he's like, well, God bless you, sir. I just wanted to share the gospel with you, you know. And he just, just gave him a gospel track. And then another guy out in the parking lot. And that guy was like, I don't want that. <laughs> and James was like, well, okay, well, have a great night, you know. And then James got in the car and he's like, this is pretty awesome. He's like, I just approached a big guy, way bigger than me, who had a mask on, right by the back of his car and his trunk was open. And it was dark outside and I'm okay, right? <laughs> like, he is with you, no one can touch you, right? <laughs> so that was his story to tell, more so than the gospel track. He was like, that was pretty, I was pretty bold there, right? So you guys, they're, I'm sure they're thrilled that I'm telling you this right now, so you can talk to them about that afterwards. A lot of times, it, it depends on the individual. There's times when, you know, we'll be with a group of people and we'll be praying and somebody will come up and it's, it's sort of like, I, I don't pretend to have all this foreknowledge, right? But sometimes you're just like, I, I, I don't know. But somebody else is like, yep, I'm going. And then certain guys, I can think of uh, several times when you go and talk with a guy and, and listen, you got, you got limited time, right? They're moving along. You're now interrupting them in some cases. Do, do you have just a minute? I'd love to talk to you about something. Oh, sure. I want to ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? Sure. I want to ask you the most important question that anybody in your life is ever going to ask you. Whoa. Okay, you got my attention now. If you die tonight, will you go to heaven or hell? Boom. <laughs> right? Like, well, that's a serious question. Sometimes it's okay for you to go right there, right? And to then be able to have the opportunity to pray with somebody. Now listen, God is responsible for the outcome. God knows the heart. It's a work of the Spirit, okay? We are called to be obedient, to be prepared, to be ready. And, and that's what we need to be. And so as you guys think about different evangelism counters, family evangelism, listen, that's, that's called, that's called a, a whole other series, right? That's called parenting. That's called family discipleship. But relational evangelism, 
right? I think you guys are pretty astute with that. The fact is you need to get to a place in that relationship, especially as you've sensed the Holy Spirit prompting you, to go, man, I need to talk to them about Christ. I've spent enough time with this person. I know that they don't know the Lord. Am I considering, if I'm truly their friend, am I considering their eternal salvation? And taking the opportunity as you have those open doors, and, and, and by the way, sometimes knocking down some of those doors, okay? To say, listen, I really need to talk to you about this. But then in those situations where you're on the bus or you're in the, in the store or you're going out and you're at the farmer's market and we're, we're there and expressly to be able to share the gospel with people, are you ready to do that? There is a wonderful pattern, and many of you know this, okay? So hopefully this is refresher. For some of you, this may be new. Some of you are familiar with a ministry called Way of the Master. It's all geared towards, and it's Ray Comfort, Kirk Cameron, okay? Those are two key guys that are part of the Way of the Master evangelism training, Living Waters ministry. I think that they do a wonderful job laying out a, a great way to very quickly and effectively share the gospel with somebody in a witnessing encounter. A lot of times they will leverage, and this is what the 10th Hour Project does as well, they will leverage gospel tracts, right? So whatever their gospel tract is, they'll have one available to them. They'll say, hey, did you get one of these? Can I, can I ask you a quick question? A lot, they put the gospel tract in their hand in many cases, okay, and it's got the gospel on there, and they say, hey, I just want to ask you a few questions. Do you have a moment? Is that okay? Sure. Now, this is your opportunity to get comfortable with however you like to lead in, but maybe you just begin to say, are you familiar? You, did you ever go to church? Oh, yeah, I kind of grew up in the church. Okay, are you familiar with the Ten Commandments? And typically people will say, yeah, I know some of the Ten Commandments, or yeah, I know what you're talking about. Do you know any of the Ten Commandments? Could you give me a few of the Ten Commandments? Now, most of the time there's a few, ten, a few of, the t- of the Ten Commandments that people are relatively familiar with, right? Don't kill, right? Don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother. Okay, great. You've named a few of those. That's great. Can I ask you another question? Sure. You said that one of the commandments is don't, don't steal. Have you ever stolen anything, regardless of its value? Well, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it was just something very small, but the fact is you weren't supposed to take it. Well, yeah, okay, okay. Have you ever killed anybody? Well, pff, certainly not. Well, you know that in Scripture, Jesus says that to even hate someone is to be guilty of, of, of murder. Well, have you ever hated anybody? Yeah, yeah, I've done that. You said, uh, do not commit adultery. Yeah, I've never done that. Well, you know, in Scripture it says that to even look at a woman to lust after her is to commit adultery in your heart. Are you guilty of that? Yeah, I'm guilty of that. Okay, well then, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, adulterer at heart. And you have to face God on Judgment Day. Would you be innocent or guilty? Well, since you put it that way, I suppose I'd be guilty. Okay, so you're guilty of God's law, and if the determination is heaven or hell, well, where would you go? Now, here's where a lot of people will say what? I think I'd probably go to heaven. Really? Why? Because, I mean, overall, I'm a pretty good person. Well, wait, you just told me that you were a lying, thieving adulterer, right? Well, yeah, but, but is God merciful? Yes, God is merciful, but God is a good judge. God's a good judge. If you were standing before even an earthly judge and you knew you were guilty, would you have any defense or would you just need to simply say, no, I, I did it, I'm guilty. Well, I suppose I'd be guilty. So if God is a perfect judge and he must punish those who break his law, would you go to heaven or hell? I suppose I'd go to hell. Does that concern you? Well, I suppose it does. Would you like to know the good news? Yeah. There's someone named Jesus Christ. 
God the Son, who came to this world, came to this earth, fully man, fully God, and he came with the express purpose of paying the penalty of your sin and of my sin. It's as if he ran into that courtroom and told that judge, yes, he's guilty, but I'll take the punishment. I'll pay the fine so that you can walk away free. Do you know that that's what Jesus did for you? Wow, that's pretty amazing. And do you know that Scripture says that all that you need to do is repent of your sins, say, God, I'm sorry, and I believe in you, Jesus Christ. Will you be the Lord of my life? And you'll be forgiven. You'll be promised an eternity in heaven. And from there, you can get plugged into a great church, be with people who walk alongside you and disciple you in this new life. Does that sound pretty good? Oh, yes, it does. Would you like to pray to receive Jesus Christ with me today? Yeah, let's do that. Now, that sounds perfect, right? But I can tell you that's happened many times. There's other times where they've said, no, thanks. (laughs) Where you didn't really get past, can I ask you a question? Or even, and some people in this room were with me when I approached a guy who, who knew me from another life and proceeded to cuss me out and walk away. There's history there. So that can happen too. You never know what you're going to face sometimes when you're going out and you're going in these interactions. But we, going back to the beginning, need to trust, right? That God is with us. That Jesus, you are willing to die for this. So I can get over my fear of this. And if my 13-year-old or my 11-year-old can get rejected in the parking lot of a store and be like, well, that was awesome, you can too, right? I only get to tell that because they're not in here tonight. (laughs) So it's good that Ashley took them back. Now that's an example there that I want us to be able to practice a little bit more, okay? I'm not going to put you on the spot to practice that tonight with everybody, but I am going to next week. Not up here, but next week amongst some of you. Attendance just got cut in half for next Wednesday, right? (laughs) Before we go back to Genesis, you're going to practice it a little bit, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to send you out a list of Scripture, not that you need to have memorized next week, but Scriptures that are necessary in sharing the Gospel, that reference, and and by the way, paraphrasing is okay, right? When I say like, hey, do you know that Jesus said if you look at a woman to lust after, you're guilty of adultery in your heart? Well, depending on your translation, that may not be exact, but we need to understand that by golly, i got to know I need to turn to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 if I'm going to reference some of these verses, right? If they say, well, prove it, because sometimes they will. <laughs> well, okay, let me, let me show you right here. All right. <clears throat> and then we have a whole bunch of gospel tracts back on that table, and we've got a bunch more in the office that we can set out for you. And we've got some of these here as well. For those of you that are like, man, this is really intimidating, and sometimes, man, I just go blank, right? Well, You can have cards like this that say, hey, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Why should God let you in? Oh, you're a good person. Have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Have you kept them all? The bad news is you're a sinner like me. The good news is Jesus died for you. Heaven is a free gift received by faith. You need to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Would you like to come to church? Do you have a Bible? Can I pray for you? Did that sound familiar? Right, so you can have your cheat card right there that allows you to put it in the person's hand and just say, let me walk through some of these questions with you so that they're looking at it. They're reading it. They're hearing it. They're seeing it. And the wonderful thing is that, yeah, sometimes we go, man, praise the Lord. This guy, he received Jesus Christ right here. But another person goes, yeah, you've really given me some things to think about. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to commit to considering this and reading through this. And we may go, oh, man, that's so close. But remember, that wasn't your, your job isn't to save them. Jesus does that. And his Holy Spirit works in their life. 
And if you've sufficiently put a little pebble in their shoe as they walk away and a mile down the road, they're going, man, this is really bothering me, right? You did your job. And, and, and in many cases, you get to, uh, you get to encounter somebody who's, who's a, a, a professing atheist and they leave an agnostic. That's really successful. Somebody who says there is no God and leaves going, yeah, may, I guess I don't know for sure, so maybe I should say I don't know if there's a God. Oh, there's a crack in that armor now, right? That light can begin to pierce through. That's a successful evangelism encounter. There was a group of USC students that we approached this past winter. And, uh, and some, you know, they were, it was a whole diff- mix of beliefs, right? And uh, it was funny because here there's probably, I think maybe there was five or six of them. And a couple, so I'm Catholic. And one guy was like, yeah, I go to church pretty regularly. The other person was sort of indifferent. And then one was like, I'm an atheist. I said, hey, that's okay. I said, and I just started to, to just have this conversation, right? And it got to the place then, and she's listening to a lot of this, and then at the end I'm like, hey, I'd love to pray for you guys. Can I pray for you? And several of them are like, yeah. I said, how can I pray for you? You know, even the person who's sort of indifferent, well, sure, you can pray for me, right? And then, of course, the atheist was like, well, I need to step away for the prayer. <laughs> she stepped back. And he said amen, and then she came back into the circle again, and I'm like, you didn't hear any of that, huh? Right? Like, hey, listen, you're going to have some weird encounters sometimes. There's a person out of principles like, i got to back away from the prayer circle, Right? And I didn't want to go into it with her there, but one of the questions I certainly could have asked her is say, why, why, if God doesn't exist, why does it matter if you're a part of the prayer or not, right? And so the Lord will lead you and guide you in these different things. And listen, I've, I've fumbled a bunch of them myself, and I would love to hear some of your examples as well, but I've just talked for too long, and that's why we're going to have to revisit this next week. And I'd love to hear you guys. I want to hear some more of you say, okay, if I had 60 seconds, these are the things that I would absolutely want to tell somebody about Jesus. There are certain things that are consistent with all of us, right, that we need to be able to communicate. But even in my own class where our professor asked that question, every one of the answers was different. There was key things there, but every answer was different. And what was different was really the testimony. So I, I would love to hear from you guys, like, what, you know, what, what would you really want to make sure somebody knows? This is the opportunity we have to build each other up in this, to encourage each other, okay, to strengthen each other. It's okay to just say, hey, did you get one of these? It's a gospel track, just like my boys last night. I'd love for you to have it. And that's it, okay? Sometimes they're going to go, eh, I'm done with this, whatever. And some people, and we saw this last night, the guy that was like, well, what the heck's that? I mean, as we walked out, he was, re- he was reading that. And the Holy Spirit's able to do a work through that. There are a lot of people, you can, you can, we can see testimonies online, and maybe, some, maybe even some of you, who, that's really how you came to the Lord was just by reading a gospel track and being intrigued. You can put them places. You can give them to your waitress, your waiter or waitress as you check out from a restaurant. But mind you, make sure you tip well. I'm dead serious. Don't you give a chintzy tip in a gospel track. That just does damage, okay? And don't use the million-dollar bill one with the tip because that's just mean, Okay? <laughs> That's just mean. Use a different one, okay? I'm serious, man. We've got to remember our witness. You want them going out of there going, wow, that was a generous tip. But, oh, wow. They really care about me. Not cheapskates. I don't want this. Right? I mean, let's just be real. Let's love them extravagantly. The way in which you give it to someone, hey, this is, a really, this is really important to me, and I just wanted to share it with you. Or This changed my life, and it might change yours too. Right? Making that just personal connection. It's quick. It's easy. And it can change a life. Okay? 
And the more you do that, the more comfortable you may get in some of those. And listen, for me, I'm not, even though I do feel confident standing before you and going, okay, hey, I'd do it this way, or here's ways you can consider. Don't think for a second I don't need some version of that heavy metal music before I go, before I go into an encounter, right? And go, okay, I gotta, let's go, Lord, let's do this. And sometimes I'll even scare some people. <laughs> Tara can tell you about that. I didn't think I did, but apparently I scared a guy, right? Because I was just energetic and excited, and I was like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. The guy's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I told some of you about that face, right? Sometimes you just have that sort of intense face, right? I can't help it. It's the way I was, I was made in his image, okay? It can be a lot of fun, rewarding. It's always terrifying on the front end, always something that when we go out, most of the people that go out with us, we're like, man, <laughs> Let's just, go, let's just go get something to eat. And then you dive in and you go and you start sharing with people and you leave going, man, Lord, that was fantastic. Thank you, Lord, for that opportunity. Now, again, that's contact evangelism. That's group evangelism. That's street witnessing. I understand there's times with family and with friends you can leave feeling maybe a little bit differently than, boy, that was awesome. But it doesn't change the fact that we're called to obedience. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord. We love you and we praise you. Uh, Lord, you are an awesome God. And uh, thank you, Lord, for calling us into this work. We know, Lord, that you are working, you are moving, that you would consider us, Lord, and be willing to use us for your glory. Uh, it is truly an honor. And may we, may we think of that and remember that each and every day. Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be confident. Help us to not fear, Lord, uh, to not be too caught up in the, the formalities as much as, Lord, just an excitement to share with other people what you have done for us, Lord, and who you are, Lord Jesus. For it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.